Jesus paid it all. That'll get you fired up to preach. I don't know what will. Well, grab your Bible and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a red, Carillion Red Pew Bible in front of you. You can grab that Bible and turn to page 871 in the Pew Bible. Just have three verses to read, but don't worry, I'll still preach for 30 minutes. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. We're still in the middle of our sermon series called Horse Pills from Jesus. I appreciate all the compliments from last week saying, Pastor Tanner, we now know why you put a picture of that horse there in the bulletin. That was a horse pill to swallow last week. Well, chapter 12 only gets more difficult. This whole chapter almost seems like it's hellfire and brimstone somewhat. Well, let's dig into God's Word together. Right on the heels of what Jesus said last week as he preached six woes towards the Pharisees and the scribes. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit come and open our minds to to understand, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, again, this may be somewhat of a horse pill for us to swallow. So we pray that your Holy Spirit's power and work in us today would be the spoonful of sugar that makes this spiritual medicine go down into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Snow cones, two dollars. Snow cones, two dollars. My wife already knows where I'm going with this story. It was a weekend about like this weekend, but it wasn't 4th of July weekend, it was Memorial Day weekend. And what happened in Memorial Day weekend in the hometown we lived in there in Princeton, Bluefield, West Virginia, is they had a carnival, yes, that the Carnies put together. And many of you used to watch, whether you admit it or not, the Jerry Springer show, and you probably wondered, where did they get the people for that Jerry Springer show? I'm not convinced of it, but they could have gotten an entire year's worth of families there in Bluefoot, West Virginia at the Mountain Festival. Well, Jennifer and I were walking around the carnival, and I'll never forget her eyes as she zoomed in upon this billboard sign that said, Snow Cone, $2. It was painted and pictured in such a way that even though it was a hot summer day, as the, the water droplets on the picture were rolling off the snow cone, you could almost feel the air-conditioned breeze 
on your face. She was influenced by that picture, decided, I must have a snow cone. It's only $2. Out of my love and compassion for her, and even though we weren't married yet, I knew deep down that not only a happy wife made a happy life, but a happy fiancé made me happy that day. And so I very gladly went up to the booth there and took Jennifer with me, and we, we purchased her a snow cone for $2. Well, while Jennifer just wanted a snow cone with the blue syrup, the blue raspberry syrup, the lady that was making the snow cone for her kept on influencing her and saying, well, you can have up to three flavors if you want. And Jennifer said, no, I really just want one flavor, just blue raspberry. She said, but you can have three for the same price. And at that moment, Jennifer, I could tell she gave in to the woman's influence. And Jennifer looked to the left at all the flavors that they had. And Jennifer said, okay, I'll do cherry, lemon, and blue raspberry. It was at that moment that my eye stayed in tune with the lady that was making the snow cone. And I noticed something Jennifer didn't notice. How the woman formed the snow cone. She took her bare hand and shaped it and molded it and then poured the blue, the yellow, and the red corn syrup Kool-Aid flavoring all over it. I handed the woman our money, and then Jennifer and I went, and we sat down at a picnic table. And Jennifer looked at me, and she asked me, would you like a bite? No, ma'am, I'm, I'm good. And Jennifer took a bite and another bite, and she said, are you sure you don't want a bite? She was trying to influence me. But there was so that I had seen that kind of influenced my lack of desire for eating the snow cone. As we were, we were eating, we were, she was eating the snow cone, we were discussing. Jennifer looked back at the trailer where the woman was making all kinds of treats, such as nachos. And Jennifer said, huh, that's interesting that that lady made the nachos with her bare hands. And then she noticed this lady make a snow cone with her bare hands. And Jennifer said, oh dear. She formed that with her bare hand. I'm so glad that she didn't do that with my snow cone. And I sat there in silence. And Jennifer said, she didn't make my snow cone that way, did she? Yes, she did. And my loving wife, I could see a little bit of where our marriage was headed that day. She said, well, Tanner... I want you to eat a bite, because if I get poisoned and get sick, I want you to get sick too. (laughs) Now, why do I share that story with you this morning? Never underestimate the power of influence. Never underestimate the power of influence. There were a lot of factors that day influencing Jennifer and influencing me. A billboard sign, a promotional, the cost of something, the hygiene or lack of hygiene involved in a situation. There were a number of influencers in that situation with that silly story about a snow cone. By the way, Jennifer did not get sick. God made dirt. Dirt won't hurt, okay? Why do I share that with you today? Obviously, I don't really care about your theology of snow cones, your theology of Kool-Aid or corn syrup. 
And I'm sure you gathered here this morning in God's house not really caring about necessarily learning about the theologies and the complexities of the hygienes of how you make a snow cone. But we all came here today because we want to be influenced by Jesus. Amen? Or some of you came here today because your friend or family member influenced you to come here today. And maybe to give Jesus a try. So what this passage really has front and center here is the power of influence in our lives. And what Jesus wants us to see in this passage is he wants us to see how important it is that we recognize what's influencing our relationship with him. Who or what is influencing you in your relationship with Jesus? And so this morning, I want us to examine this passage together as we, as we answer several questions about our relationship with Jesus. I want us to examine where we are in our relationship with Jesus, examine what's influencing our relationship with Jesus as we answer several questions together this morning. The first question is this, who is discipling you? Who is discipling you? It's very significant, the context that we see here in verse 1. I don't want you to miss the scenario and the situation. It says in verse 1 that in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, that he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What's happening here? Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, Be careful who's discipling you. See, in this context, there are two potential teachers of God's people. There's Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, I don't want you to miss what's happening here. I love the situation here. Jesus, in chapter 11, verses 37 through 54, just pronounced six woes to the Pharisees. Remember, I summarized them last week with these two points, that Pharisees, religious people, tend to focus more on looking religious rather than actually loving Jesus. I mean, Jesus really cracks the whip on them. And then Jesus also criticizes the Pharisees because he says they're far more concerned about preserving their traditions than actually promoting Jesus, promoting the gospel. So on the heels of this, I want you to notice what happens. What's the response? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people flock to hear Jesus. And these are not polite Presbyterians that are tiptoeing towards Jesus. This is like a mob, a crowd that you would have seen gathered at Woodstock. Because it says, there's so many thousands of people had gathered together, they began trampling one another. 
They were coming to Jesus like he was the rolling stones. Why? Hungry to hear what Jesus had to say. Why were they hungry to hear what Jesus had to say? In their hearts, they were coming to him to kneel before him and say, Lord Jesus, disciple me. Disciple us. And what I love about this situation is that Jesus, although they're about to be trampled by the crowd, who does Jesus focus his instruction towards that day? The disciples. It says in the verse 1 that Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware. It's kind of like a situation like this. Let's say on the 4th of July weekend that you go out to Mary Holland Park. Let's imagine that you see an alligator just a foot or two off of the bank. And you see some kids throwing rocks at the alligator and throwing sticks at the alligator. You think, probably not a good idea. But you see a mom run up to her son and she goes, son, stop it. Translation, don't be a fool. And he goes, mom, my friends are throwing sticks and rocks at the alligator too. What will that mom say in that situation? I don't care what they're doing. Listen to me. I'm your mom. Now what happens in that situation? The mother instructs her son, but the ripple effect, the unintended consequences, what happened? She just instructed all the other boys that are gathered together there with her son. That's precisely what's happening here in this passage. Jesus is instructing and discipling his disciples, but the entire crowd is overhearing the instruction that Jesus is giving his disciples. And what is Jesus saying to his disciples? Be careful. In the original Greek, it's a command, it's an imperative in the present tense, which means it's a continual, habitual action. In other words, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is this, always be on guard, always be careful, always be aware, pay attention to who is discipling you. Never never underestimate the power of influence is what Jesus is saying. So my question to you this day is this, who's discipling you? Someone or something every single day is discipling you. And either consciously or unconsciously, you are bending your knee before them and you're saying, I'm here to learn from you. Now let me go from preaching to meddling. For example, when you turn on the news station, And you sit there for 6, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Guess what's happening? You're being discipled. Whether it be Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or CNBC, or some YouTube channel. Do you not realize that what's happening in that moment? You're being discipled. You're coming there with a heart that's ready to learn. And you're saying, teach me. Who's discipling you? When you read blogs, whether it be Christian blogs or non-Christian blogs, when you listen to podcasts, do you not realize that when you come to them, you're coming there as a learner, in a sense you're saying, disciple me, teach me. 
Never underestimate the power of influence. Every single day, someone or something or multiple things and multiple people are influencing you in how you think, how you live, what you feel, and how you behave. And so Jesus is challenging all of us to not underestimate the power of influence in our lives. And we need to pause and take some time out and ask ourselves the question, who is discipling you? Students, as you go off to college, your professors will not only be educating you, they will be discipling you. Recognize that. Do you not realize that in a sense your friends disciple you and they teach you? Who's discipling you? I'll confess to you a very difficult time in my life happened in the ninth grade. There were a group of friends I had been running with for at least three to five years. And at that point in our, in our lives, we had all grown up in the church. We, we were all seeking to follow Christ at that, that point. But then some of my friends began steering away from Jesus. And a lot of them got into drugs. A lot of them got into alcohol. A lot of them were pursuing impure lifestyle. And I remember trying to have conversations with them and trying to encourage them in their walk with Christ. But I remember there came a point where it was, it was blatantly obvious to me that they had decided that they would not be following Jesus in the near future. And I had to decide for myself, who will my closest friends be? Because iron sharpens iron. Because in a sense, your friends will help disciple you. And at that point, I changed friend groups. It was very difficult. But it made a huge impact on my faith. Because the friends that I chose at that time allowed me to become a part of their group were a group of young men, goofy as they were, and as uncool as they were, they were seeking to follow Jesus faithfully. Never underestimate the power of influence in your life. And that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the Pharisees, lest they be the ones that are discipling you. Friends, today you have been given a God-ordained opportunity in relationship with Jesus. You've been given an opportunity to take an hour out of your time, an hour of your week, and examine your relationship with Jesus to examine who it is that's discipling you. Which leads us to the second question we need to answer. Not only who is discipling you, but what are they teaching you? That's the second question you need to ask. Is Not only who is discipling you, but number two, what are they teaching you? Jesus says very specifically and pinpointed in verse 1 what the Pharisees were teaching those they were discipling. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus, this, this idea, this metaphor of leaven and yeast working its way through the dough is used in a number of places in Scripture, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. Here it's used in a negative way that the Pharisees' teaching, the Pharisees' practice is, is polluting and corrupting the folks that they're teaching. Why? Jesus hits the nail on the head and says, because they're hypocrites. What does that mean? Because if you walked with Jesus long enough, you've been accused of being a heretic, haven't you? <laughs> to be a heretic means this, that you pretend to be something 
that you're not. It's to put on a face and to put on a show of something you're not. The Pharisees put on a big facade about how dedicated they were to the Lord and all the rules and all the regulations. But they missed the heart of God. But the covenant heartbeat of God is this. You see it throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. I will be their God and they will be my people. And as those three flavors of syrup saturated that ice on that snow cone <laughs> and made its way to the, to the bottom of that cup that Jennifer held before she ate it, that's the way the teaching of the Pharisees saturated and infiltrated the culture of that day. Church, who is teaching you? What do people learn when they come to Barto ARP Church? Do they learn how to look the part of a Christian? Or do they learn the truth about who God is? That He's holy, just, pure, and sovereign? Do they learn the truth about who they are, that they're created in His image? Sinners in need of a Savior, lest they experience God's wrath and judgment for eternity? Do they learn about God's grace and God's patience that when we repent of our sin and profess the Lord Jesus, He not only saves us and forgives us, but He fills us with His Holy Spirit and He promises that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. What do people learn when they come to Barto ARP Church? I hope and pray that they don't learn just how to look religious. But I hope they learn about Jesus. And I hope that what they see when they look around this room are a group of sinners saved by God's grace. Not perfect. Own up to our weaknesses, own up to our sin, but by God's grace, He's not finished with us yet. Now, I talked to some of the people in the room today that may not be a Christian. You may not like Jesus, you may not like Christianity on the surface because over the years you don't like preachers and you don't like religious people. Neither did Jesus. <laughs> it's the religious people that actually get Jesus killed. 
So I want you to notice, if you're not walking with Jesus, actually Jesus understands exactly what you're thinking and exactly what you're feeling. Because Jesus doesn't like people that play religion either. Because religious people, they like their own rules more than they like a relationship with God. But whether you grow up in the church or didn't grow up in the church, you need to understand where the culture is today. That there are people that claim to be religious and there are people that claim to be spiritual. Here's what they mean by the difference. Religious means that, well, you go to a church or you, you, you claim a, a particular religion as your faith. Spiritual people, let me tell you what they worship. They worship themselves. <laughs> but everybody worships someone or something. And what we need to be taught is that there's only one true God that deserves our worship and is worthy of our worship. Who's discipling you and what are they teaching you? True story, I share the story of, of, of a friend. He and his wife are Christians. They've raised their children in a Christian home and he bought one of his daughters a brand new vehicle upon her high school graduation around May or June of her senior year. And then she went off to a college and she went off to a university. And I'll never forget my friend's anxiety when his daughter came home for Christmas break and they began having conversations around the dinner table. He called me up and he said, Tanner, you're not going to believe what my daughter accused me of being. I said, what's that? He said, she accused me of being an intolerant, greedy, racist, homophobe. Okay, that's a lot. So where did she get that? He said, well, she went off to college. She came back four months later. She claims I'm intolerant because I believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved and have a, a reconciled relationship with God. I said, okay, well, what makes her think she's, you're greedy? He said, well, she thinks I'm greedy because even though I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and her, her mom and I have been just busting our, our whole lives trying to make ends meet and give our children a better life than we have. And even though I gave her a vehicle, she thinks that we're greedy because we've accumulated some wealth by God's grace. I said, well, it makes her think that you're a racist. He was like, because I'm just a white male. I was like, does she not see the different ethnicities that your company employs? He said, apparently she forgets all of the, the Christmas parties we enjoy together as a company. So what makes her think that you're a homophobe? Because I know your company's had to deal with people with different sexual preferences and identities. He said, because I believe that God has a created order. And there's a way that God intended for the marriage relationship to be. I'll never forget what he said. He said, Tanner, I sent my daughter off to college thinking she was getting educated to have a career in the medical profession. He said, but she didn't go off and get educated. She went off and got indoctrinated. Never underestimate the power of influence. Who is discipling you? And what are they teaching you? Finally, if you're going to examine your relationship with Jesus, 
ask yourself this question about those who are lead, who's, about those who are discipling you and what they are teaching you. Thirdly, where are they leading you? Where are they leading you? Look at verses two through three. We can really address these verses very quickly because there's a comfort and a caution involved in this. In one sense, Jesus is comforting his disciples about how the Pharisees are going to get caught. When he says in verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, Jesus is comforting his disciples. Beware of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy because on judgment day, God the Father will reveal to everyone just how much they've been playing fake, pretend in the relationship with me. So there's a comfort that Jesus offers his disciples in verse 2. But there's an implied caution that Jesus teaches his disciples in verse 3. Look how he turns it on them. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the the housetops. What's Jesus doing? He's cautioning his disciples. Be careful lest you become a fake and pretend like the Pharisees. Because we're all headed towards judgment day. And Jesus is cautioning his disciples that the Pharisees are not drawing people closer to Jesus. They're not drawing people on the road to heaven, so to speak. But they're driving people further away from Jesus. Where are those people that are discipling you leading you are they drawing you closer to Jesus or are they driving you further from Jesus men women that those of you that are in dating relationships right now please listen to me look up you need to ask yourself this question about who you're dating where are they leading you In your relationship with them, are they drawing you closer to Jesus or are they driving you further away from Jesus? True story that was an eye-opener for me. I was pursuing my college degree and I went to a, a, a Christian college and I was receiving a degree for religion and philosophy. It was basically pre before you go to preacher school. And I don't know if, do they actually pass out papers now when they grade them? Like, students, do they actually use red ink now when they grade your papers? Do they still do that? Okay, wow, okay. Some things haven't changed. So I remember getting a, a research paper back from my Old Testament professor, and literally he wrote this in red ink. Be careful of the new American commentaries. These guys actually believe in inerrancy. Now, for those of you that know what, the, know what the word inerrancy means, it means that the scriptures are without error, that they are reliable, that they are trustworthy. I remember getting my research paper back and kind of talk, cocking my head, kind of like Jack does when I ask him if he wants to go on a walk. Like, did he just say what I think he said? He just said in red ink, be careful about reading these books, because when you read these books, these guys actually believe the Bible. Broke my heart that day. 
I had had lunch with that Old Testament professor. I had been in his office. He had counseled me and guided me in what classes to take and what classes not to take. He'd helped me choose my minor. I loved him and I liked him. But that day I had to recognize where he was leading me was not closer to Jesus, but further from Jesus. Why are these questions important? Who's discipling you? What are they teaching you? Where are they leading you? Why are these questions important? Because influence is everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we never underestimate the power of influence. And what I pray is that your Holy Spirit would influence our hearts. Convince us of our sin. Convict us, convert us, conform us, we pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word this morning by singing hymn number 85, The Lord's My Shepherd. We're going to sing verses 1 through 4 prior to coming to the Lord's Supper this morning.